Hey all, thanks for tuning in. It is Thursday, May 14th. We are continuing our series of conversations about revival, what that looks like, particularly revival in our homes and cars and kitchens because we're not uh, able to meet together as a church. Uh, it's an important conversation to, to discuss what revival can and should look like and the aspects of it. Um, next week, we will be talking about uh, some other uh, aspects of revival, but I'm, I've been uh, allowed to lead the conversations for this week. So thanks guys for, for uh, humoring me. Uh, today, I, I, I wanted to talk about a concept that I think is uh, gaining traction in culture uh, with regard to revival, and I think it makes it harder for revival to happen. And uh, it, it kind of came to mind when I, I am reading this book called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. Uh, right here by Leslie Newbigin. Um, I real barn burner. I know everybody's just going to go right out and, and buy it. It's it's very good. It's very uh, thoughtful, and you know it takes a lot of time to think through and digest. This guy was a missionary in India, and he came back to uh, the the uh, United Kingdom, and he realized, you know, like in India, one of the things they had to deal with is like people are more than happy to to accept Jesus. And they just add him to their pantheon of gods. So they've got, you know, just bunches of gods. And then you just put Jesus right in there with all of that. And uh, so one of the things, the battles he had to deal with is like, how do you help people understand that? No, it is only Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And of course, you know, Steve, you've dealt with that a little in Thailand. I know my parents did in, in Taiwan as well. You just add Jesus to the little family altar at home and they're fine with it. He said when he came back to the United Kingdom that he realized it was basically the same thing there, despite the fact that it was a vastly different culture, but that people had kind of accepted a relativism or a pluralism. And the general idea, the difference wasn't that you just added Jesus to a pantheon of gods. The difference was, is that you said, well, Jesus is fine for you. He's true for you, but it's not true for me. And it's, uh, it's such a tricky concept when you start talking about relativism. Uh, because it sounds good or it sounds appealing. One of the uh, phrases that I just cannot stand that you hear all the time is when people say something like, well, that is my truth. And I'm just like, it, it's just so hard for me. And I don't know, maybe this is because of my age, but truth is not subjective or, or, or truth. It's objective. There is like truth. And I realize, you know, maybe I like a certain flavor of ice cream, uh, is subjective, but you know how? What's the tallest mountain? Isn't it's it's an objective truth. So let me ask you guys this uh, before I continue to dominate the conversation. Um, where do you see relativism pop up in your ministries as an outreach minister, Steve, uh, and as a youth minister, Caleb? Where are you kind of seeing the concepts spring up in your different work? Steve, I'll let you go first. All right. <laughs> um, you guys are so polite. You're always yeah. <laughs> You know, in outreach, uh, it's so if if discipleship and outreach. So if I if we're talking if I'm talking with a non-Christian, then their background is going to be the determining factor. Of that do they do they follow those views? Do they? It's like the class we did on Wednesday nights with significant others. You know, I, you know, our our non-Christian neighbors introducing them to Christ because Christ is I am the only way. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So uh, getting that across to people sounds uh, bad, sounds, oh, so you're being prideful about that. 
uh, like you said, and then this, this tolerance, this, you know, all roads lead to God kind of uh, culture that maybe we're living in. Uh, and I'll be interested to hear what you say about that, Caleb, as far as the young people, the Generation Z or whatever. That it sounds good, but it's, in reality, the, the outcomes of that kind of uh, acceptance is not good because then there is no truth. There is no right. There is no wrong. It's all dependent on a person's feelings in the moment. And, uh, and so it gives us some uh, hurdles when you're trying to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, uh, we've met Christians, we've met believers who have accepted at least part of that sometimes. Yes. And so then you have a hurdle there as yes. well. Well, so one of the things I've, I've noticed with a lot of uh, Christians is that there's kind of a shrugging of the shoulders with regard to other ideas or religions, because tolerance is such a, it is a valuable um, uh, virtue in some areas. And so, you know, people are encouraged to pursue tolerance, but then when tolerance, tolerance sometimes, sometimes comes at the expense of truth. And so I think people are kind of like, well, you know, they're, they follow some other God or they, you know, Hey, that works for them. They seem to be happy. And what I've seen shifting is that happiness or, you know, personal fulfillment becomes the objective standard for truth. It's true. If it makes me personally happy, uh, rather than the fact that it's actually true. And then happiness is so tricky and fleeting. And, you know, is it, are you really happy? Are you temporarily happy? You know, there's all kinds of issues with that. Anyway, Caleb, where are you seeing that with youth ministry? Yeah, I think this idea of relativism, it's just, it's pervasive in just the lives of our teenagers and of our kids. Um, High schools, high schools and junior highs, they are these uh, tough, you know, kind of like these battlegrounds of competing ideologies. I know we like to think of that as the college. That's true because, and you hear that from colleges most because they can vocalize this, but in our high schools and in our junior highs, these worldviews are engaged, you know, interacting with our, of our kids in a subversive manner. You know, it's not like they're being told this is moral relativism. Um, it's just like, this is what you're accepted to do. And I think um, a lot of teenagers buy into it or at least aware of it because it sounds good. It sounds you know, like we should all, you know, this is my truth. Um, and and uh, you should have your truth because it's it's good for you and mine's good for me. Yeah, it's um, pragmatic. It works for mm-hmm. you, so it's true for you. And it, part of it, it comes. There's this book that I really think all people should read. Um, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind, um, and it's it, it's great. It's by the two social psychologists who neither of them are Christians, both are practicing atheists. But it's such a useful book because they are breaking down this kind of idea of moral relativism in Generation Z. And I'm at, you know, kind of that borderline of millennial or Gen Z. And um, it's just this idea that uh, truth is good if it doesn't cause another person harm. Right. And, and so, you know, it's this idea where uh, with our teens, like, they care about people. I mean, it comes from a very good nature spot. They care for other people. And so they don't want to cause harm uh, yeah. And usually, mental, you know, is perceived, you know, mental harm to this other person by uh, yeah, but making them feel like what they believe plan. isn't true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
Interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. But I mean, that's just kind of ideas. It's it's pretty common. I mean, they might our teens and our kids might not know the you know the proper academic terminology for all this, but they are they know the general ideas because that's 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 the thing in our culture, especially among this younger generation, is that uh, you know, you, we each have our own truth, and it is good as long as it doesn't cause harm to other yeah. people. Yeah, and we're so, I mean, we think we know what causes harm or doesn't cause harm, you know, but that's such a, um, that itself is a subjective guideline. So I think the way that this impacts our topic of revival is that when you uh, start to accept um, a viewpoint that there are a variety of truths, then it is easier to dismiss um, conviction. You're not being held to a specific standard that you're falling short of. I mean, you know, sin is relative, like mm -hmm. it didn't really harm anybody. So what's, what's the real crime? And then I think once people begin using that as a litmus test for sin, well, then it's like, I mean, you know, the ball game's over because who, yeah. who gets to decide what, what is harmful? And then why should I feel bad about doing something if it doesn't, if I cannot tell that it directly causes somebody else harm? And so I think revival is kind of thrown out the window because there's no standard that I'm holding myself to or I'm measuring myself against. I mean, uh, it, it just seems wild to think that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And yet people like Jesus, but they throw out uh, him as sort of an objective standard. And, and that just, the problem with that is, is that it just breeds indifference. Yes. If I don't, if I'm not motivated to change anymore, if truth is relative, I'm not motivated to talk to anybody anymore, don't know what I would say to them, and then, then we just have this, it, it's not actually a good thing because it just breeds this indifference and then no one cares anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't end up caring for one another or caring what our neighbor does or, uh, and that indifference I think is one of the things that, must change for revival yeah. to take place. That's why we need revival is because we have become indifferent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we become indifferent because eh, who cares? It's all relative. You know, what does it matter? Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I think that there, <laughs> I think that there maybe is a flip side to this too, because I think sometimes people, uh, uh, Christians don't do a good job of differentiating between um, things that they are allowed to be uh, relative about. I mean, mm -hmm. this isn't a great example, but I, it popped into my head. I have a preaching buddy who <laughs> was born left-handed, but his dad didn't believe in left-handedness, I guess, you know, when he was born. So he forced him to do everything right-handed. And so it's just kind of like, he, it's just, you can tell everything he does is a little backward because he's trying to, like his dad was like, I, I can't allow you to be left-handed. That's not an objective standard or, you know, but I think that there, when it comes to our spirituality, there are things that where we can have differences of opinion and thought and approach to Christ and, and a way that we engage with Christ. And so Christians do need to be cautious about holding everyone else to their way of engaging with Christ. But that doesn't mean that it's relative. So there, how would you speak to that kind of that tricky balance of, you know, that we all have different um, means of uh, growth and things that matter to us and ways that we engage with God. Some people 
uh, worship really matters to them. And so the stay at home order is really making an impact on them because they can't, they don't feel like they can worship together. Other people are really, they just, they're academic and they just want to read a book about it. How, how would you speak to that aspect of, of how we approach Christ differently? How is that different than relativism? Yeah, I really think that um, this is an example of where our culture's idea of relativism has impacted our, um, our functioning as Christians, our functioning as church. You know, when our culture says um, you have your own individual truth, and that is what is important to you, and no one else can take it from you. You know, there's the culture saying to person A that your belief is, is the most important. But that is only for you. And that's what culture says, but that isn't necessarily what happens. When we take that to the church, it looks very differently in the sense that we might say, I think singing eight hours every Sunday is the most important aspect. Um, and when we let that become ingrained in us as people, um, that impacts how we perceive our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think one of the things we have to guard ourselves against is remembering that the the purpose of, of our worship and our faith is to glorify christ um and not to get caught up in maybe a particular method which is influenced by our culture. i don't know if that makes sense or not sure sure yeah and and you know so you're if i understand your question correctly we're we're not just talking about this relativism of this umbrella of truth that's over everyone and it's eternal for everyone we're talking about a variety or a, or a preference for how we deal with things together. Yeah, when y'all were talking, I thought of 1 Peter 4.10. I looked it up. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Yeah. So as far as our preferences in worship or Bible reading or, you know, uh, so as ministers we have certain gifts and responsibilities that the rest of the congregation doesn't have it doesn't mean that they don't have responsibilities they do but but for for one person it'll be giving for one person it'll be compassion for one person it'll be grace or love or teaching and all of that comes together so that's that's variety that's part of god's gifts that's not relativism as far as truth yeah uh, that affects us all the same yeah yeah i think that's a valuable point to keep in mind because it is easy for christians to kind of get off the rails a little bit and feel like their um version of discipleship is yeah or their focus yeah. of discipleship it, it's yeah. not everybody's my focus of discipleship is not going to be everybody's focus yeah. on discipleship yeah well, I mean, maybe a good example of that is like as a guy who does uh, quite a bit of preaching, I really think a lot about and value the preaching time in a service where maybe our, our song leaders are like, let's sing more songs. And I'm like, no, less songs, more preaching. Uh, and those are all different ways of, of trying to worship God and, and draw closer to God. Okay, well, we're definitely out of time. We may need to edit some of this conversation out. We'll have to see. Um, but uh, hopefully that is valuable when we think about revival and we think about we are holding ourselves to an objective standard of, of sin and truth and, uh, and that God provides an incredible amount of grace. Uh, hopefully you can join us tomorrow. We're going to talk about the idea of uh, being countercultural, 
uh, versus just being outside of culture uh, and kind of culture as the bad guy in, uh, in churches sometimes. So uh, hopefully you can join us. Hopefully this is helpful. If it is, let us know. You can email us at staff at Woodbury Church. If it's not, well, keep your opinions to yourself. So they're not objective truth. Anyway, we will talk to y'all later. All right.